Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm your host, JP. As always with me are my fearless co-hosts, Marcus. Yay, me. And Joe. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, today we're recording in the nude. It is nice and hot up here. It would be would be, would be nice to do that. There, ne- there needs to be a way to have like air conditioning or a fan happening that doesn't get picked up by the mics. That would be phenomenal. You know, there was one Halloween, someone I worked with. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners out there, Marcus just took his shirt off. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's that kind of party. That's my hands on my sweaty belly. Geek life, everyone. Geek life. And that's my hands on a sweaty belly. Oh, God. I'm really sorry. It actually is sweaty, dude. <laughs> yeah. I've touched worse. All right, so we are we are up in our incredibly awesome podcast studio. And I say up because it is upstairs above Waterfront Comics in Sassoon, California. We rent a little spot up there and we set it up for podcast fun time. And it's crazy hot right now up here. We are all yeah. sweating and, and, and laboring over the, the magic that is the podcast that we make for you peoples so that you can enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So, But I saw a fat suit one Halloween. That was just a big suit and it had all like a little fan that was blowing into it. <gasps> That's awesome. Yeah. It looked very comfortable. Segway. I dressed up as a sumo wrestler as in like elementary school, but then at some point, and so basically it's this this giant fat suit with like fake muscles and stuff, right? And it had this little black speedo majig, right? At some point, the speedo came off, <laughs> and you couldn't tell. And so I was just this kid in a naked fat suit. Oh lord! <laughs> Very nice. I love the visual. Good times. Good times. Segway? Segway. All right. So today we are talking about Father Robot. Father Robot is written by Christopher White. Artist is Sam Garland and colorist Jenny Gosk. Oh, it all comes together. I recognize her. She did the zombie comic. What was that called? She did that comic Zombie Killers, right? Was it Zombie Killers? Yeah, that's fucking Zombie Killers, dude. Guaranteed. That was a good comic. It was. The colorist for this comic uh, Jenny Gosk, she is from Zombie Killers, which you can find at zombie-killers.net, and we highly recommend that one. And actually, if you want to go to podcast.pandamega.com and scroll down on the right side of the page, there'll be a search button. Just search for Zombie Killers, and you'll and be you able to come, pull up that episode. Yeah, yeah, it was a really, it was a good one, and we really, really enjoyed the comic. Okay, so on to Father Robot. So, like we said, we ran into Sam Garland at a convention a while back. And we're able to record a little interview with him. So why don't we go ahead and play that now, and then we'll get into Father Robot. Hey, everybody. This is JP from Pandamanga.com. I'm here at Big Wow Comic Fest talking to Sam Garland about his upcoming book, Father Robot. Can you tell us a little bit about the comic? So Father Robot's a, a story written by Christopher White and uh, co-created and drawn by me, Sam. And uh, it's, about a, it's about a robot in the near future when wars are fought by kind of robots controlled by people. This robot gets his, uh, his personality from his pilot, and he starts to believe that he's the father of the pilot's little girl. Interesting. So, so Interesting. he saves her in the middle of this war, and is kind of on the run with her. And the military and the, fa- the real father, the human father, are, they're all concerned about the little girl's safety, so they're trying to get her back. Sure. But the little girl knows that her father 
pilot of this robot, and and she becomes convinced that he's in the robot, and as, as much as the robot's convinced he's the father of the little girl, she's convinced he's her father too. Wow. So uh, so yeah. So they're both like on the run from the people that are looking for her. Yeah. Because and very then, you cool. know, and it's so it's kind of a family story, and it's kind of a sci-fi uh, war story. So does it take um, place like future time then? Yeah, in the future but, time. Yeah. I I think the the Earth is kind of a uh, is has gone back to nature, and people are living in city states. But there's there, it's kind of a utopian future too. So so when the war uh, when the war breaks down and, and robots aren't the only ones dying, right. uh, society kind of starts to fall apart. Interesting, interesting. Okay, um, can you tell us a little bit about your artistic influences here? It's really beautiful stuff. Oh yeah, well thank you. That's really nice to hear. I uh, I've always been a big fan of uh, Paul Pope. Mobius was always a big influence influence when I was younger. I really like. Uh, what uh, IDW is doing with uh, the current Transformers series. Uh, okay. They, yeah. they had a, an artist uh, in the past few years called uh, Don Figueroa, and I, I really love his style, and Nick Roche is another one of their artists who I, I follow closely. I, I would love to I'd love to draw half as good as any of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Speaking of your art, can you tell us about your artistic process? Like, how do you bring it from the sketch planning stage all the way to the comic? Uh, sure, sure. I, uh, I start with blue line pencils, uh, which are the ones that when you when you put them on a computer scanner, blue, right? yeah, they, mm-hmm. won't show, they won't show up. Uh, and I and I tend to pencil pretty messily. Uh, I'd hate to, I'd hate to give another artist my pencils and say ink these because they would they would probably say, well, you know, what am I looking at? Uh, and then I don't do a, a regular graphite phase. I go right from the kind of loose uh, non-photo blue pencils straight to to what I think is very clean uh, ink style, very clean line style. Absolutely. Um, and and don't ask me how. Uh, I go from messy to clean. Uh, it's, it just seems to make sense to me. I've tried over the years. You can see the line to, you want within yeah, all yeah. of it. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like sculpting. You know, you can see the you can see the the statue in the clay. You just got to remove the outside of it. Right, that's, that's kind of how I think of it. Absolutely. And then, so, do you take it onto the computer and colorize it, or do you colorize it? All? I do most of my colors on uh, in the computer. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll just I'll get that itch, and I got to scratch it with some some Copic markers. You sure. know, and I'll, I'll try and get that little it gets a that water painterly look it, yeah. imitation look in there. And uh, I, I really enjoy that. But uh, you know, with any with any hand coloring process that kind of lends itself to some to a lot of error and a lot of cleanup. <laughs> so I find coloring the computer to be the most efficient way to get a, a clean a clean look. Efficient and inexpensive and all that good stuff. Yeah, no all question. the above. No yeah. Question, Besides, no every once in a while you got to make a mess too, because uh, I don't know that, that that's where it's at with the, uh, the artistic uh, right. <laughs> process. And you know, if I didn't have some shirts covered in paint, I don't think I'd be a real artist. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at samgarlandillustrations.com, and if you want more information about Father Robot, fatherrobot.com. No hyphen, no nothing. No, it's it, and the two R's are together. It's Father Robot. Nice. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Excellent. Awesome. Well, we look really much forward to reading it when it comes out. And Great. Thanks so much for the interview. Oh, you bet, man. Thanks for thanks for the interview too. Thanks again, Sam, for talking to us. I know that your table was busy, and we always appreciate when people really take time to to chat with us about their comic. So, Father Robot, what would you do for your family when a father? Reggie, is forced to abandon the defense of a city where his wife and child are taking shelter, his hope to save them is lost. All that changes when the mech he was remotely piloting becomes self-aware. Now the world's first ever sentient robot is destined to continue the father's mission. But will he succeed? And who else knows about the robot's newfound awareness? And thus, the race begins. So there's actually a little, it's actually a little bit of a forward here by Christopher White, the writer, talking about the inspiration for the story. And he says, For me, this is a father-daughter story, and it's one that I've been wanting to tell for a while now. I have two daughters now, and I distinctly remember the day I realized how much I loved my first daughter. Despite what some people say, it's not instantaneous. The fear and pain I felt deep in my core at the thought of someone hurting her was uh, was real. It moved me to tears. 
That love is what this story is about. That and robots. Really cool robots. So, as we always do, we'll go ahead and break it into two parts. First, talking about the story. So, writing and story side of things for Father Robot, what did you guys think? Uh, good. It was definitely original. I'd never seen anything with all these elements compiled the way they are. Yeah, I think the premise, more yeah. than anything, which, you know, is not an uncommon thing for us to say, talking mm -hmm. about indie comics, because a lot of the time indie comics aren't totally, completely, perfectly polished. Mm -hmm. But I think that the premise here is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the writing and I didn't feel like the characters were believable or the motivations weren't. And I I definitely do feel like that. You know, mm -hmm. there were some I think maybe conversational wise a little rough edges here yeah. and there, but the yeah. the premise, the idea, what a cool idea! Yeah, I mean, what a cool idea! Like the closest thing I could think that it's referencing, short circuit, right? And right. that's even like in the like most remotest right, right, right. sentient machine, sentient like warrior machine. So let's set the premise here, okay? So we're in the far future, and Reggie is a soldier. And in this future, instead of using humans in combat, actual live combat, what they've done is they've created these remote-controlled mechs. And essentially, they kind of like jack their minds into the mechs, sort of like in the movie Avatar, where they mm -hmm. sort of teleport in and become the mech. They become the Avatar, right? And so they're in these like crazy pods with, you know, wires hooked up to their head and stuff. And they're in this like stasis sort of coma thing while their minds are off in these robots dialed into the OS there and running around fighting stuff. And this is a way that in the future they've been able to sort of reduce the human casualty and loss of life in war and beyond. They kind of use these things for a lot of stuff. I mean, they were there when yeah. they were like out hanging out. Mm -hmm. You know, so it seems like the robots are a pretty regular part of their life and they depend on them for most of the stuff that people don't want to do or is maybe a little dangerous or whatever. So it feels like it's a pretty utopian kind of society aside from some of the war that's yeah. going on. The but one other country that doesn't like them. Right. So I think it was like from the south, right? So the, mm -hmm. they didn't really get into too much detail about, you know, the, the politics or the, yeah. the political theater going on. It was really more about the story of Reggie and his family. And them being put at immediate danger. And what I thought was really interesting about the story was that it becomes very clear that they become almost sort of cavalier about the idea of war and about being mm -hmm. soldiers. There's a part where three soldiers, Reggie and then two other guys that, you know, and one guy's like really overweight and the other guy's sort of cocky and goofy. And, and they're just, they're not taking it seriously. You know, like yeah. we're going to war. And going to war means going in this other room and essentially playing robot video games mm -hmm. for a while. And even then, they're not thinking like, oh, if we don't defend our people, if we don't do a successful campaign with these robots, then these robots will come and actually kill us. They still have this sense that, oh, this is just for show. Yeah, oh, the South is just trying like to... way too detached from it. Very, very detached. There's this sense that it's not real, that they're that it's almost video game-like. And, yeah. and they're, like I said, I really think that it's just a very cavalier kind of attitude about war and about all that sort of stuff. I mean, even to the point where they had in the city where Reggie's family is on a big screen, they had somebody covering the war. And it reminded me a little bit of the sort of energy of like Starship Troopers, mm -hmm. where it's just over the top, goofy, theatrical, not really taking things seriously. It's an ugly planet, a bug planet. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that that right there is something that really sets us apart because it has a very strong sense of the culture of mm -hmm. this world and how the sort of central piece of this story being the robots and how we use robots and all that sort of stuff and how that really has changed the way people view things. You know, mm. people are much more relaxed, leisurely, lazy even. They don't really take things as seriously. They just feel like they're just in this cocoon of safety. 
Yeah, I wonder if the author really realizes the undercurrent of technology absorbing our lives that he's kind of set up here. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, in his foreword, he talks a lot about how this is so specifically about the love of a father mm -hmm. for his daughter and what he'll do for it and how he can, you know, that love can push him to do things yeah. beyond normal human strength. Yeah. But I really feel like there's a lot more going on here in this world that he's crafted. Yeah. And like, I mean, and it's really not even so much the focus. And that's what's so great. I love it when a story has an interesting premise in a cool world. But that's not, and they're just like, well, yeah, but that's just the world. Let's tell a story in the world. That's mm -hmm. cool. And that's what they've done here. I really like that. Yeah. I kind of feel like he led in the forward that it's a story about a father-daughter. And I, I, I didn't get a whole lot of that. I, I feel like I, it's definitely about the father. Sure. Not a whole lot about the daughter. I think that Jeez. it's about the father's love for the daughter right. at, in issue one. Again, here we are back again talking about issue ones. And again, this is yeah. this issue one-itis. I do feel like... As they move forward here, mm -hmm. they're going to have more interaction between the daughter and the robot. So, again, we, we got off topic a little bit. So, back to the premise, right? So, they're in this future. They're having this war. And Reggie, his robot, they basically get ambushed, right? The robot's fighting robots, okay? And a couple of them survive. They're able to get away. A lot of the other squads that were out there in this in this campaign, they got taken out. And they realized that the enemy isn't just attacking robots versus robots. The enemy actually snuck around and is attacking their, their city, their, their people, their home, human yeah. city, right? They're civilians. Right. So they're, they're, yeah, they're fighting civilians, mm -hmm. taking them down, destroying buildings, murdering innocent people. And Reggie's like, this is where my family is. And so he, in his robot, just books it and takes off towards the city. And the, the kind of colonel leading guy, I don't know what, I forget what they were saying. But anyway, the, the head of his, of his team, right, the guy overseeing their, their campaign, he gets all mad and says like, oh, he's a deserter. And he pulls him out of the you know, little like mental link chamber, mm -hmm. much against the advice of the head tech there. And what ends up happening is that he gets disconnected and his, his mind is sort of fragmented and goofed up and he ends up getting, you know, kind of thrown in holding. And the robot just goes, boo, dark. Mm-hmm. But then, a little while later, the robot wakes up. And the robot's sort of thinking to himself, as if he was Reggie, like, how did I get back in here? I was, last thing I remember, I was being pulled, I must have found my way back. I don't really, it doesn't really matter. I got to go save my family. I got to go save my wife. I got to go save my daughter. And he just continues off heading towards, towards the city where they are. And essentially, the idea is that his consciousness, the way that they disconnected him, and some kind of new operating system that they had mm -hmm. going on with the character, or with that robot in particular, grabbed like, like a copied, yeah. Yeah, like took a, shap, took a snapshot of his mind. And so there's essentially two Reggies now. One who mm -hmm. is the robot who thinks he's Reggie somewhere else. Like, that's the thing, is it's not the robot's become self-aware. It's an artificial intelligence, and it knows it's not human. Mm -hmm. This robot thinks that he's still Reggie, sort of plug, like yeah, diving plug. into the robot from a remote location, doesn't yeah. have any idea that he is the robot, and there is no, there's like, like essentially two Reggies now. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting idea. Anyway, so let's talk about how, how successful do we feel like it was? I'm a little biased just because it's, it's very war-centric, yeah. and that... Excuse me. I don't want to say that the story was boring, but it 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 didn't capture my attention. Um, yeah, it was a a bit wordy. Like if it was, like how you was saying, it's the story about the father daughter. That's maybe half of the first page, and then the very last page is the only interaction between the two you get. And so that message is kind of lost amidst this whole like technology replacing our existence sort of thing there is a lot of premise describing that goes on here yeah and a lot of 
really character development, honestly, between the characters and talking about Reggie and his relationship with things and setting up the world and mm -hmm. their sort of relationship with their technology. And, you know, perhaps the, the, the point being, if the point is, which it seems like it was very clearly explained in the beginning that it was to demonstrate the love that a father has for his daughter. Mm -hmm. It feels like that does get a little bit lost in the shuffle. Yeah. I do think that issue two of this is going to have a lot more opportunity to dig in with that. Because essentially issue issue two is going to be when, when the robot connects with the daughter. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to give anything away about who lives and who dies, but it's probably going to be just the daughter, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I get the feeling that he's basically going to be escaping away with the daughter in this, you know, war-torn environment. And they're going to have some time on the run. And I'm hoping that... It's not going to be so much of this military, you know, squad based, you know, who's in charge, do what mm -hmm. you say, you're a deserter, yeah. follow the rules. Go get back your robot. Right. Because that to me, that's not very compelling. And I know that a lot of people find war and military fiction very compelling. But me personally, that's not very compelling. Mm. And so what's interesting to me about this is the human part of it in happening amidst the war. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's cool that we're. We're heading in that direction, but I do feel like I wish there was more of that in yeah. this first issue. But I do feel like the second issue is is way set up to deal with that and have some time to kind of get away from the the normal rhythm and tropes of a war story. Yeah. And you know, again, like you're saying, this is suffering from a lot of the first issue itis. Mm -hmm. It puts so much pressure into describing the world and building the characters and not actually showing the world or showing the characters. Sure. Like you get something like uh, Rucka's Lazarus within the first issue. We know everything that's going on just from following the story of the main character. Yeah. Yeah. Although Without to be having fair, to be spoon fed everything. Right. Although to be fair, that's Greg fucking Rucka. Well, it's Greg Rucka. And in addition to that, I would say that Lazarus in particular, it expects the reader to be patient mm -hmm. in reading Lazarus. Every time that I, that an issue comes out and I come into it, I always think to myself, like, did I miss something? And then I realize that, no, there's just this sort of disjointed storytelling that is really, really skillfully done mm -hmm. that in the end, if you just trust Rucka and read the whole book, it's going to make sense. But when you first start reading, it's kind of like, who's this character? Do I know them already? Because they, he drops people in there as yeah. if you already know who they are. Very confidently. And so he does very confident storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's at a very high level, I think. And yeah. so, it, it, you know, not a fair comparison, but but I do I do see what you mean. Mm -hmm. that it would be nice to see it moving more in that direction. And I think it's a trend we're finding with the indie comics. We've talked about this a lot recently, yeah. is that there's a lot more describing instead of showing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it was, it was it's very war-centric. It, you know, I, I don't want to just copy whatever Joe said, but essentially the same thing. It's a, it, it from issue one itis it's doing a lot of the describing of the world instead of actually starting the story mm -hmm. which you know could all be remedied in, in issue two but it might make the series better as a trade paperback than individual issues yeah probably mm -hmm. probably i do feel like so much of the time even when something is really excellent it would be nice to be able to get a couple issues all at once yeah but that's just not that's just not the nature of things you know so we, ha we have to have a little bit of compassion for issue one's and be willing to kind of give a little. Well, you know who actually did show us a lot of, uh, like, showing the world while following the character's mm -hmm. uh, story? Was uh, Zots. Yeah. Daniel Prada's uh, Serpent and Shield. Yeah, well, that is, that is a particularly impressive comic, yeah. for sure. I don't know 
thing one about like, Mesoamerica, well, let alone his fictitious, let alone mate, his, you know, fictitious his like, version, version of it. Meadow, yeah, that's. But you know, he followed the main characters, followed their trials and tribulations and their big events, and it showed you this huge world that he had just come up with. I think it's always a balance between trusting the reader to stick with you and be attentive enough, the reader, be attentive enough to really pick up all of the things you're doing so that you can have some subtle storytelling and some showing Mm -hmm. instead of describing and telling. And I think sometimes that's not, uh, it's not what people are. People are a little concerned. And so they're, they're in their concern to Mm -hmm. make it clear. They make it too clear. And then we feel like we're being patronized. Yeah. You know? And like you were saying, you know, Ruck is a very confident storyteller. It's yeah. something that's come with years of of making comics. Well, and, and the thing is, is that when you're when you're writing a story and telling a story so confidently like that, you run the risk of it not working mm-hmm. and falling on its face unless it's done really just right. So anyway, I think all in all, the story for this is really a cool idea. And yeah. I like the premise a lot. And again, I'm super interested in seeing what happens in the next issue. Well, why don't we go ahead and take a quick musical break. When we get back, we'll go ahead and talk about the art of Father Robot, which, spoilers, I actually liked quite a bit, especially the robots. Hmm. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. Welcome back to Geek Life. We are talking about Father Robot. We just finished talking about the story, but JP wants to tell you about another little story that he's been into. Yeah, so the Geek Life podcast is sponsored by Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life to get your free audiobook download and try one month of their excellent service. That whole month, you get 30% off their huge catalog. Of How much? 30%! 30% off of their huge catalog. <laughs> Over 200,000 books at this point. It's just staggering. And, and really, more every day. It's crazy. It's crazy. So the book that we, the book that I listened to most recently, was Skin Game by Jim Butcher. Why the most am recent I book. Not surprised. <laughs> oh, shut up. The most recent book in the series of the Dresden Files books. 
first of all, spoilers, I'm a huge fan of the Dresden Files series, and I just love me some Jim Butcher. So it's a really, really great book. If anybody is interested in the Dresden Files series at all anyway, you just got to keep reading it. Get to this far. I mean, I think it's like book 15 or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's deep in at this point. But it's really phenomenal. And this one's really great because, again, trying not to give away too many spoilers because it's deep into the story and I could totally ruin some stuff for you guys. But essentially, Harry, the main character, Harry Dresden, who is a modern day wizard, private eye, living in Chicago. He is actually like under W for wizard in the, in the yellow pages. The only practicing wizard in the Chicago land area. That's correct. And he's a full-blown lightning bolts and staff and magic items and secret doors and going into, you know, the fairy lands, all that. Like he's a full on, full blown high fantasy wizard, except, you know, nowadays. And he doesn't like transport it from the past or anything. This is just how wizards are now. He's really, it's a very, very interesting character. He's a very reluctant hero, which is really fun because he's much more relatable. Instead of like, oh, I'm never afraid of anything. Woo. He's like, Oh, son of a bitch. And then he goes and saves the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So he's really fun. But what's cool about this book in particular is that basically to settle a debt, he has to work with some of the meanest, baddest, most evil dudes. It's basically like the Legion of Doom <laughs> from a series. I mean, from like throughout the books, a bunch of guys come back that he's had to fight tooth and nail and almost died trying to save people from or defeat these bad guys. And they end up working all together to basically pull a bank heist. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's real. It sounds silly, but it's totally great. And it, it turns out really, really good. It's just like always any kind of a good mystery detective kind of story. It's, you know, got this spaghetti plot that just is just mixed up and loopy and, and complex, but in the end unravels nice and cleanly and works out really well. So it's just a great book. It's an excellent continuation of a wonderful series. And if you like fantasy stuff if you like detective stuff if you like fun enjoyable characters and just it's just i just can't recommend it enough it's one of my favorite book series Mm -hmm. and jim butcher the author comes out with one of these almost every year and it's downright incredible just check it out and if you haven't checked out the dresden files before i'll recommend the first book which is stormfront Mm -hmm. which since you and Mikey and Henry and Dustin basically everybody and everybody in our group of friends has been talking about nonstop for like the past four months (laughs) since like you got word this book was coming out yeah we basically all started to re-listen to the books again when we you know get closer to the release of the book so I just started Stormfront yay welcome Mm. to the cult one of us (laughs) one of us so the, the, the book I'm recommending is Skin Game by Jim Butcher, read by the indomitable, incredible James Marsters. That's right. Spike is going to read you this story. Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Very nice. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. When he you first the... said you were recommending a book called Skin Games, I was like, is this that kind of podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. But okay. uh, fun stuff. No, no. The ones on uh, JP's list are the scale game. Oh, can we please not go there? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's a different story for a different time. Anyway, so go ahead and check out Skin Game by Jim Butcher, read by James Marsters. Again, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life and get your free audiobook download. And this is what I recommend this time around. Check out Skin Game by Jim Butcher. Now, continuing on with Father Robot by Christopher White and Sam Garland. We talked about the writing and the story. Now, what do you guys think about the art of Father Robot? This is going to be the Sam Garland jam. And then also... Colored by Jennifer Goss. The Sam Garland 
portion of it I really, really like. For the most part, I really enjoyed the line art. Um, there were a couple of facial expressions in there that I, I thought were a little off. But Yeah, some of the characters, they sh- it's interesting because they shift from like really good, solid character designs. And then there's some panels where it's just like, who hit them with the ugly stick? <laughs> that doesn't look like the same person. What happened? Ah! But you like know, when they're doing big motions or like really, well, yeah, like mid movement expressions. <laughs> There's some stuff in here that's pretty, it's pretty epic. Yeah. The facial contortion that happens is like these guys are made of rubber. You can tell, you can tell that Sam's realm of comfort and his, his real wheelhouse artistically are the robots mm. and the scenery, the mm. backgrounds. You know, that industrial looking sort of military complex is just beautiful. And really, even in in the beginning of the book, when the characters are all outside having like a picnic and off in the distance, you see these clouds that have that almost Taoist sort of painting look. Right. Mm -hmm. This is beautiful, interesting clouds and really cool mountain range in the background. And, and, you know, the characters and the size of the characters are small so that it accentuates the size of the robots. And similarly, the size of the characters are small in comparison to the grandeur of nature, which is Mm -hmm. a very sort of Taoist painting kind of a feel. So that first page right there really caught my eye. It's a very beautiful shot. And really throughout the whole book, the robots are great, really cool designs, really interesting. And Sam does an interesting thing with his robots where they they don't look harsh and metallic. I mean, they look like robots. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. They look like robots. They look like they're made of metal and plastic and armor and polymer and whatever the hell robots are made of. Mm-hmm. But they have this almost human-like quality to them. They can emote a little bit. You know, well, and, and they're a bit just, customized to each character. Yeah, each character looks a little different. Each each robot looks a little different, like you said, customized to the characters. But even there are some of them that don't really have conventional looking eyes. Sam still manages to make it clear the emotions of these guys because, you know, with, with the way the story's written, right? Uh, Reggie and and company they are sort of like diving right into these robots mentally, and so their physical bodies are just in like a neutral trance like Mm -hmm. sleep and so there's no real way to show facial expressions and so when these guys are having this conversation about like oh my god we got ambushed we barely survived they're attacking the city my family's there i gotta go save them that's the robots talking and it still has a sense of urgency it still looks like you know the two robots that he's talking to which were his friends that we were introduced to earlier before they dived into the robots you know they're kind of like whoa man don't leave you can't leave that's not cool and he's like i don't care you guys don't have families you don't understand i got to go get them and it still has that three friends standing around two trying to counsel against what the third one is trying to do and the third one just running off into the sunset like it it still has that feeling even though it's like big metal robot guys so yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool to be able to get across that sort of emotive thing happening mm-hmm. That I was really impressed with the the design of the robots and, and the way they interact with each other. I like the the design of the robots, but I feel like it might have been a mistake to do the soft shadows on all the robots. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that the probably biggest artistic downfall of this comic would be the coloring, which in some pages works great, but there is no variance in the shading, right? Whether it's, it's soft shadow blends on everything. Exactly. It is this. It's this soft fuzzy shadow look on everything and so everything has this like perfectly smoothed out rounded kind of matte look none of the robots look shiny none of the robots look war-torn none of the robots look really angular there's no real flat surfaces on them even though the line art very clearly describes flat surfaces but there's something about the way that they've been shaded that they all have this sort of bulbous 
spherical, round, sort of soft quality to them. And it really robs them of looking like metal. It really mm-hmm. robs them of, of having that sort of presence and that that rigidity, which is a nice sort of contrast to the fleshiness of the humans. If she had shaded the humans, Jennifer here, we're talking about her coloring. If she had maybe shaded the humans the way that she shaded the humans, and that meant that's fine, but then done something a little bit different, a little more angular, a little bit less soft, because everything is that soft yeah. look. And it's just, it's not successful on everything. It's totally successful on some things because some things are soft and fleshy and round, but it's not robots, not well, trees, even, even not on mountains. Even on humans, there's if the light hits you the right way, it's going to be a harsh, straight I agree. shadow mm-hmm. line, not a, not a shadow thing, but that's just the only thing that's available. There's one page where a robot's running that you can actually see what might have been intended for shine lines on the metal that wasn't utilized at all to make shine. Or it could be a scratch on the shin of the robot. I can't... Oh, I think those are decals. Is that decal? I think so. Because they're on him all the time. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Either, either way, robots need to have that... Oh, you're right. It's decal. Battle-worn, scraped metal, scraped... You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the line art cannot describe... Like straight, especially when he's coming like straight out of a battle. Right. Well, yeah, the line art's not going to be able to describe all of yeah. the, the, the damage and the battle-worn stuff, and, and the line art's not going to be able to describe the shininess of things. That's going to be up to the value. That's going to be up to the color. And, like, that page right there where he's knocked out, I mean, he, he, he looks like a plushie, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he just is too soft. You now know that you're saying box that right about the, the battle damage, um, I actually wish there was more battle damage in the line arts, at least a little bit. Because yeah, I would agree. I don't think there's any, so... Yeah. Like he looks mint from box right there, which I in the beginning which is after of the story, a, after an ambush where most of his friends yeah robots got killed, which in the beginning of the story is you know acceptable because the idea that uh, they don't see combat often mm-hmm. these could be brand new yeah. robots for all yeah. we know, but I think at, at after the ambush specifically there should have been a little something and it's not I don't think too he uh, could be missing an eyebrow or something. <laughs> well, you know, what you see on mechs, especially like Japanese comics, they're mech heavy. You know, they they go out of their way to have the mechs look dirty, scratched, mm-hmm. scraped, to have bare metal exposed beneath the paint, to have the polymer and the armor scraped and scratched and dented. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives it have this sense of blown realism. off and yeah. sparking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the, what the Transformers movie just came out and, you know, f- feel how you're going to feel about the Transformers. But like the models for the Transformers, the, the 3D models for the Transformers, they they look for the most part like pretty much like metal. You know, I mean, part of the, how they are achieve that, that realism, as real as it is, it's not that real, but you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the level of realism that they're able to achieve, a big piece of that is making them look dented up, damaged, scraped. You know, they're not going to look perfect. They can't. It's not realistic. It's you not don't think reasonable. the Transformers look that real? What? You don't think the, the new Transformers look that real? Well, you know, they, they, they it's obvious that they're 3D animated characters. Really? Yeah. Okay. Not as bad as some, but... No, not as bad as some, but it's still, they look like 3D animated characters. Mm-hmm. They do. I, okay, I feel like if I saw an Optimus Prime from that movie and it was standing still, I would have been, I could easily think that's an Optimus Prime statue that's out there somewhere. Yeah, and in some scenes, it really does look like that. Absolutely. Um, and I know that uh, Sam Garland knows how to do weather and warm because he has a scene where the robots are hiding behind, you know, damaged ruins, and that's that's weathered and worn. Put that same texture on some of the metal, and you're done. That's that's kind of all that we're asking. Yeah, I mean, really, you're just looking for some kind of scratchy extra lines here. Mm-hmm. You know, me follow some of the follow some of the surfaces of the you know of the robot and stuff. I mean, those sort of accents and those sort of scrapes and things like that. That detail helps to add. 
a little realism, a little mm-hmm. grit, you know, and really a lot of the time will help describe the surfaces and the, the, the sort of dimensions and 3D volume of the character, which is nice. Yeah. So it would make it so you didn't have to shadow them all round. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's really unfortunate that the, 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 the thing is the color palette is fine. I don't yeah. have any problem with the color palette. It's pretty successful. I mean, it's, it's kind of muted. It's, it's a little, little muted, right? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that the color palette's not like, whoa, that's not okay. But when it's she just, does go to like nighttime, the palette really shines. It washes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. That's definitely that's definitely the low point of the of the comic artistically. But man, there's so much in there that's really excellent. I mean, I go, going back again to the the robot design, I love the robot design, and that's really mm-hmm. cool. And if you look in the back of the book on the very last page, if you flip all the way there. There is a advertisement for Sam's own upcoming comic, and it's, you know, surprise, surprise, more robots, and there's even more interesting and diverse robot design. So that guy has just got robots on the brain and is really very skillful with that design. And believe me, you, drawing robots is not easy. It's, a, it's definitely a distinct skill. If anyone wants to look up Sam Garland and his robot artwork, it's at samgarlandillustrations.com. And we'll, of course, put links to that in the show notes. So any final thoughts on the art for Father Robot, you guys? Uh, there was one panel in particular that, um, you know, every once in a while when you're reading a comic, you see enough stuff that uh, it's, it's kind of uh, the language of comics and of, of action scenes sometimes that you let it go. But one particular, when someone is being shot, um, that it was part of the decision on the colorist and part of the decision on the penciler, on Sam, um, to make a, a blast of the bullet exiting and entering the victim. and I don't want to get too caught up in logistics or anything, but I feel like that's just not how it works. Like if that same blast was instead of being um, blast, you know, spray of, of blood completely, that would make more sense. But I don't yeah, see... But there's like fire exploding from her chest. Mm-hmm. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, it's an exploding shell. Yeah, I mean, I could see... I mean, I looked at that and I didn't bat an eye. It's like it's incendiary maybe or something yeah. like that. I mean, these are future robots shooting shells that are meant to destroy robots so Mm -hmm. i'm not surprised that any i mean i'm surprised that she didn't just explode in half although i don't think that that was the direction we were headed with the comic Mm, it's not quite that harsh but uh yeah do it i want to see exploding in half victims in the next issue in the end i really feel like the art was for the most part very very successful oh yeah so, I don't want it to seem like we're bashing on... on, on no, no, the, not the at all. I mean, there's, a, there's a, lot, there's a lot to like there. It is. And but it wouldn't be an honest spotlight. It wouldn't be an honest, yeah. you know, um, review if we didn't point out a couple of things that we felt were less than less than successful, yeah. which is fine. That's that's the way it goes. And you uh, have to do that. I just just noticed that, you know, you were talking about how the, the shading almost makes the robots look kind of plushy. She has a plushy version. She of, has a plushy robot that is also called Father Robot. Mm-hmm. So that I, I get the feeling that there's she mentioned something in just one little bubble there that it's a way for her father to see her. So maybe mm-hmm. it's like a I don't know, like a little Skype bot or something. So yeah, maybe. Anyway, oh, the future. So if you'd like to learn more about Father Robot, you can go to fatherrobot.com. We'll have more links to social media and all that fun stuff on the podcast show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. Again, you can find Father Robot at fatherrobot.com. Thanks again, Sam, for taking time out of the busy convention schedule to talk with us and share this comic and hooking us up with a copy. We really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed it and really looking forward to seeing what happens in issue two. It, it leaves in a bit of a cliffhanger and, you know, like all good first issues, makes you want to know what comes next. <laughs> so thanks again for sharing the comic and we look forward to seeing what happens next in the world of Father Robot. Thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. 
Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. That's for anybody who'd like to suggest ideas for us to talk about different comics on the podcast. If they'd like to be featured on the podcast or featured on the website, we're happy to host exciting new independent comics on the site. And, you know, if you've got a Kickstarter campaign or something like that, we're happy to champion the creator-owned, self-published comic art. Music for this episode has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. Links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like to learn more about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is JP, and we'll see you next time. Father Robart? It, <laughs> wait, wait. You said Robart. Robart. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> Father Robot? Father Rhubarb. Father Rhubarb. Mm. So, Father Robot. What is Father Robot? Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing the wave in here, you bastards. I was being floppy handed, whatever, whatever, whatever guy. It's an orangutan. Wacky flailing inflatable arm tube man. Wacky, Wacky flailing, flailing inflatable arm tube man. All right. <clears throat> we talked about the. <laughs> You guys are assholes. Stop making funny faces. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> okay. Whew. Breath. <laughs>